Welcome to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. Well, thank you for listening to the Activate podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom, a ministry resource of Journey Church International here at Lee Summit. My name's Ryan. It's uh, my privilege to uh, host the podcast today with Pastor Christian. Uh, we recently started a series titled um, Jesus and Lessons in Faith, and we're in Matthew chapter 8. And uh, this message Sunday was Follow and Serve. Welcome to many of you listening around the world. We're glad you've tuned in. As always, you can check out the sermon. It's really a great way to uh, to be able to follow along if you've watched or listened to the sermon. You can find those either on our JCI app, YouTube, or on the TakeTheJourney.cc website. Um, man, people tune in every week to, to learn some really practical ideas in growing in their faith, as well as uh, becoming a, a leader for Jesus and everything in between. So we're glad you're here. Pastor Christian, as we uh, dive in and kind of uh, look closer at the message, uh, this section of Matthew 8 happens in Capernaum. Uh, can you explain the significance uh, of this town and this region on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee? Yeah, I can. So the first time um, I actually went to uh, Capernaum, which my whole life I've called Capernaum, but now I call Capernaum. Um, I didn't say it either of those ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, as as you're turning kind of as you're as you're heading north along the the western edge of the Sea of Galilee there's just a little road that branches off to your right and it says Kefer Nahum like the Old Testament prophet Nahum um so a lot of people think Capernaum uh, Kefer the town of Nahum is is the birthplace the town of the the Old Testament prophet Nahum um which is cool it it was one of many thriving fishing villages in the days of Jesus uh, so the sea of galilee looks like an upside down teardrop and if you started at kind of the northernmost region that's where the jordan river flows into the sea of galilee there was a fishing village there named bethsaida because where those two waters came together there was just extremely good um, fishing. And then just a little bit down, if you were to travel south down the western side of the Sea of Galilee, you would run into Capernaum. Capernaum. Uh, if you were to go just a few more miles south, you would hit Magdala. If you were to go just a few more miles south, you would hit a big uh, New Testament first century town of Tiberias. All of those are st- are still there today. Three of them, of course, of our, our archaeological sites. They just uh, dug up Magdala. Yeah, just dug up Magdala, and Tiberias is, is still a thriving place. But it it would have it would have been a a thriving. I don't want to say international, but it would have been a thriving multicultural community because the fishing industry was a really big industry. So you would have had people from modern day Syria, uh, biblical Aram, who would have come down the Jordan River to fish in kind of the, the place where the Jordan River met the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Damascus is, I think, maybe 50, 70 miles. Um, from probably Bethsaida and Capernaum, uh, you would have had people from the regions of the, the of the Decapolis, um, which would have been uh, Gentile territories on the other side, uh, the eastern side of the Jordan River that would have come um, and would have fished there. We know there were people from Tyre and Sidon, modern day Lebanon, who came down and partook of this. And then this was the vac- the vacation spot of a lot of of the wealthy people um, in Jerusalem coming to Galilee from time from time to time. And then anyone who was crossing from Asia uh, into Africa, uh, 
which would have been a major trade route at the time, would have had to cross through the Via Mares, um, the way of the sea, the only place where you wouldn't have to climb up kind of a mountain ridge to get from Asia to Africa uh, was just kind of at the northern boundary of the Sea of Galilee. You would kind of cut across Nazareth and you would cut across the Megiddo Valley that we know in Scripture as Armageddon. That like That's how you would cross to get down easily to Africa. So this would have been a thriving kind of multicultural, um, multi-ethnic, um, multi-religious community where Jesus shows up to do ministry. Um, we know Capernaum was the hometown of Peter. Uh, we know his mother-in-law lived with him. We meet her in this text. Um, and this is where Jesus did, did a lot of his ministry. It's a place you can go and visit today. Uh, it is a town that is in ruins. It is a town that was cursed by Jesus because he said, if the things done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which is, you know, a different country, had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, like they would have repented. And here you had the Messiah living in your midst, teaching in your synagogues, walking your streets, eating in your homes, um, you know, getting on and off the boats at your shore, and you and you failed to see him. Your town will be cursed, not, not because Jesus cursed people that rejected him, but the hardness of heart of people who were who failed to come alive spiritually um, cultures and civilizations and societies that don't come alive spiritually die spiritually. And we see that, that, that that's what happened to this place. But man, it is a beautiful place. Um, if you, if you stand at the edge of the Sea of Galilee looking into Capernaum, you get the Sea of Galilee at your back. You get the Golan Heights on your right. Um, you've got the hills of Tiberias to your left and straight ahead of you. You've got what many people believe are the Mount of Beatitudes where Jesus would have often went up the hills to teach. It is uh, one of my favorite spots on planet Earth. And there's a great synagogue there, too, that you get to tour, if I remember correctly, and we get to walk down to the sea there. Yeah, there is a, there is a great synagogue. The synagogue there, the, it's called the, the kind of the white synagogue is made out of white stone. They think it was probably built in the third century. So a couple hundred years after Jesus was there, but it's built on the foundations of the first century synagogue, uh, a, a really Big black basalt foundation. You can actually see into that synagogue. So you can stand where Jesus stood, um, and you can read some of his teachings in the exact spot that he would have stood. And we read about in this story, um, a centurion who was pretty sympathetic to the Jewish people who built that synagogue for them. So even standing in that synagogue, you see the story of Matthew chapter eight come to life because you're in a synagogue. Where a centurion who was pretty sympathetic to the Jewish people helped them raise money to build that synagogue. Um, and now you're in the town where Jesus spoke a word and healed this man's servant, probably, a, um, probably a child of one of his slaves, because the word translates, um, that, that one of the children was sick, who was a servant. Um, yeah, where Jesus heals, heals this slave child, uh, just, just with a word, with, with a, with a word of faith of, hey, you trust me, you believe in me. Um, I'll do it. It's done. It's a great context. I appreciate you unpacking that. Um, I think it's helpful for our listeners. After you read uh, Matthew 8, 5 through 17 in your message, you make a statement that in case you think that Jesus doesn't have time for you, or even more specifically that he's busy helping people more important than you, and then you list the people in this that he cares for, a leper, Roman soldier, aging mother-in-law, and you follow that up with, this statement, there's nothing more important to Jesus or a ministry team than spending time with you if you need it. You know, part of the life discipleship track uh, are our care groups. 
Can you can you remind our people how these are intended to be an extension of Jesus uh, and our church uh, as our church ministers to those who are hurting? Yeah, so Ryan, um, as people sit in church, I think people who are new to church and people who come in broken, I think they hear all the great things we sing about Jesus and they hear all the great things we say about Jesus. And I think people think that's for other people, but certainly not for me. Because these people might not know who I am or what I've done, but God does. And I just don't think if Jesus walked in a room today and had to pick two or three, he he wouldn't pick me. Jesus is someone who, as often as he could, um, clearly not everyone, um, right? I mean, some people in his in his time hated him so much that they killed him. We read in John chapter 5 that he walked into a... Uh, uh, a place where lots of lame people were laid to try to get into the water. Um, you know, when it was stirred, we talked to, we actually end, ended our message with that l- last week and he walked in and he healed one and walked out. So he didn't heal every person in every town, every time, but we see Jesus noticing the hurting. And I think it's important for people to know in our church, as we give our message and as we do ministry, like we're, we're there if we need them. Now, one of the things that we teach our church is, that we believe the body is supposed to minister to the body. So Jesus was the most perfect spiritual leader in the history of the world, and he had 12 people that he was really able to pour his life into. And sometimes in the American church, because there's a guy on the stage, we think if the guy on the stage isn't the guy I'm eating lunch with, if the guy on the stage isn't in my small group, if the guy on the stage doesn't come visit me in the hospital, uh, you know, then Jesus doesn't care about me. That, like That's not how Jesus designed ministry to be done. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul told the church in Ephesus, the job of the pastor is to teach the people to minister to one another. This is how the church cares for everyone at the exact same time. So we have a church that's filled with nearly a hundred different small group leaders. We have a church that you know, at some points, like this summer during our serve week, we'll have nearly a thousand people volunteering at the same time, serving all of our community. And it allows the church to be the church. If the church is the pastor, not very much ministry is going to get done. But if the church is every single individual doing something for somebody else, not only is a lot going to get done, everything can be done um, if we put our hands and our hearts on on those who are close to us. But when you look at the ministry we have very specifically to the hurting, the divorce care ministry that we have on Monday nights for those who have walked through divorce, a lot of people um, don't just get divorced. Their divorce is a death and they, and they never are able to move on. So we have a divorce care group for men and women who are walking through divorce or maybe walked through it 20 years ago, but haven't been able to get out of the emotional pain yet. We have a grief share group led by um, two people who have both lost their spouse who walk with people who have lost their spouse. We have a celebrate recovery for people who've gone through abuse and addiction and struggles in life that they can't get over without help with financial peace university for people who um, have just, just spent too much time spending money that they didn't have. And now they, they feel like they're in bondage to their finances uh, or the financial commitments of their life. Um, yeah. And, and then you just look at all the discipleship groups we have. You look at all the next step team members who never leave the front of the stage until there's no one left to pray with or talk to. You look at the people um, out in the lobby of our church who are there to talk with and answer questions till people leave. Now, a lot of times people are thinking, well, if, if Pastor Ryan or Pastor Christian don't have time for me, the church doesn't have time for me. But you and I are not the church. We are a part of the larger church of Jesus. Um and we minister to as many as we can, but our job is to 
equip people to minister to more than we could minister to on our own. And I think when you understand that the body ministers to the body and you accept ministry from Jesus through a Christian rather than rather than just believing ministry comes from a pastor, one, you'll always have somebody to minister to you. Um, and two, you'll be able to turn into a minister yourself because you'll think, you know, I'm not a pastor, but I love people and I know some scripture and I'm available and I'm willing and I want to help. Uh, and it just allows ministry to be multiplied times thousands when everyone is willing to become a minister. Absolutely. Great point. And I, I wanted to, to highlight that since those are real life ways people can be ministered to at our church and reminding people the body ministers to the body. Uh, based on what we read in Scripture, Jesus evidently had a, had a strong impact on <laughs> Roman centurions. Um, you share the quote, and I love this, from Dr. William Barclay about the centurions. He said, Centurions were the long-serving, regular, full-time soldiers of the Roman army. They were responsible for the dis- discipline of their regiment, and they were the cement which held the army together. They were the finest men in the Roman army. Every centurion mentioned in the New Testament is mentioned with honor. You talk about authority. Can you help us unpack this authority that the centurion obviously recognized that caused him to call Jesus Lord? Yeah. So first, I I love I love teaching the Bible because it helps me learn the Bible. I did not know this about New Testament centurions. Seven different centurions that were mentioned in Scripture who were all who all came to the aid of or the submission of. Jesus and his church and his people, uh, almost all of them in the life of either Jesus and or Paul, but who recognized that like, G- Jesus is God and his, and his church um, and his gospel is the way to salvation. Maybe it was because they were men who both had authority and served under authority and recognized a higher authority of the Roman emperor and the Roman empire. But there was something about the centurions that, that that recognized somebody was in charge and it wasn't them. So twice this centurion comes to Jesus uh, and he calls him Lord. We really we read in Luke chapter 7 that he actually sent his friends to Jesus. We don't know that they actually ever spoke. He sent a group of Jewish leaders who he'd helped build a synagogue for to ask Jesus, hey, this centurion helped build us a synagogue. Will you help him? And then while Jesus was talking to them, another group of his friends came and said, you don't even have to like come to his house, just help him. Like this is a guy who understood Jesus has the final authority over life, over sickness, over death, over spiritual things. This is somebody who got it better than the Jewish leaders got it because the Jewish leaders spent their whole life basically saying to Jesus, prove that you have spiritual authority. Where this man came to Jesus and said, I believe you have spiritual authority. Will you leverage it on my behalf? And I, th- I think that is the difference between an honest skeptic um, who has real questions and a dishonest skeptic who's trying to confuse people spiritually. An honest skeptic will say, um, I believe, but I need to see. So Jesus help me see. And I think your eyes spiritually will be opened. A dishonest skeptic, no matter what answer you have, they have another question. No matter what solution you have, they have another problem. The Jewish leaders were dishonest skeptics. Well, Jesus, if you'll just prove it, we'll believe in you. The centurion came to Jesus and said, I believe it. Whether or not you prove it, I believe it. 
would you be willing to leverage it on my behalf? And I think like that is the key. C.S. Lewis said, um, C.S. Lewis said, I don't believe because I see. I see because I believe. I choose to place my faith in Jesus and it changes how I see everything. I believe, therefore I see. And I think what you see in this passage is authority comes first. You give Jesus authority and then you'll realize you can trust him with that rather than prove it, prove it, prove it, prove it. Because if Jesus has to prove you can trust him with your authority in area A, then he'll have to do it in area B and area C and area D and area E and, and so on and so forth. If you just say, Jesus, you have authority in every area of my life, he will prove to you. You can trust him in those areas as you walk through your life. And what this centurion did is he said, listen, um, I'm one of 60 in this legion who oversees a hundred. I answer to someone, they answer to me. I understand how authority works. You just give the word and it's done. Jesus, I believe you are the final authority over life and death and spiritual things. So give the word. And I know, I know your word has power. And Jesus said, that's unbelievable that this guy believes and understands who I am. Tell him it's done. And it was. Yeah, it's a great uh, lesson. And there were some real practical things. If you haven't listened to the message, there's some real practical things about, uh, you know, what parts of your life have you not given Jesus authority in? Um, I really, I really enjoyed that. Um, in the second half of the message, you mentioned saved by Jesus to serve Jesus. Uh, the Jesus track, as we've talked about, is designed to help people learn to walk with Jesus daily. And you, you share a lesson in faith. And it was this, one of the prim- one of our primary responses to being touched by Jesus is that we serve him. Can you help our audience know how they can practically do this? Yeah, so first you have to discover your design. So one, one of the things that we offer at our church uh, is, a, is a four-step program called Growth Track that helps you uh, know God, uh, be transformed, um, discover, like discover your purpose, and, and then like make a difference in the world. And step two of that, is a is an hour long class, but it's a ten minute video that basically says God designed you and gifted you to serve Him in the world to make a difference, and then it's kind of a it's a personality test that just reveals to you maybe how you're wired, and then a spiritual gifts assessment that tells you the three or four things God has put in you to serve the world, and then at the end of that growth track process, we tie those together in step three with how you can leverage that to lead in your life on a daily basis. And then step four, how you can use that to serve Jesus in his church and in his kingdom. Um, I, I think if, if you are willing to intentionally try to figure out how God designed you and how God gifted you and where those gifts can be applied in his church, that anyone and everyone can practically have high impact for Jesus that gives them high fulfillment in their soul. But you gotta do a little work. You gotta, you gotta do the work of finding out who you are. You gotta do the work of finding out how you're shaped. You gotta do the work of figuring out where you're gifted. And then you gotta do a little bit of research of where those gifts and your shape are best played out in the church of Jesus Christ. And then you, and then you gotta go do it. But I promise you practically you'll have huge impact and massive fulfillment, but you gotta get to journey. On the second Sunday of the month, 
at some point so that you can at 930 head into that growth track class and take one hour getting to know who God created you to be and how God gifted you to serve. Yeah, so if you're wondering, uh, there's four steps, as Pastor Christian mentioned. Step one's always on the first Sunday of the month, and so on. So this coming Sunday will be uh, step one, and then the following will be step two that he's referencing. Love to have you come and be a part of that. Uh, Pastor Christian, last question. Activate is the name of the podcast, and it lines up with our with our leadership track where we want people to take what they learn and, and really do something with it, share it with someone. Well, yeah. What would you highlight this week for our audience to share with others? So if I was in a mentoring discipleship relationship with somebody, the question I would be asking is, as the angels look into your life, because we quoted that verse that salvation is this wonderful mystery, and the angels in heaven enjoy watching people put their faith in Jesus. Where where do the angels who are watching your life see that you have given Jesus total authority? And where where are they waiting? Like if they watch your life, like we watch Netflix, and they're wondering about the next episode, where in your life right now are you struggling to give Jesus total authority in your life that they're talking about is, you know, they eat pizza after watching the, this episode of your life. Man, I wonder if tomorrow will be the day he or she finally gets an opportunity to give Jesus authority in this area. And and where are they celebrating that you have give, given Jesus authority and it's built your faith? It's giving Jesus authority is a lesson in faith that just helps you trust Jesus more so that you can love him more so that you can follow him better. I think this, if I were mentoring or discipling somebody, that would be the conversation I had. Okay, last week, the angels looked into your life to watch your faith story. Where do they see that you've given authority to Jesus? And what does that look like? And where are they wondering if and when you're going to do that? And what does that look like? I just think that's a real practical way to understand some of the faith steps that we have to take. Uh, great, uh, great action steps. I hope uh, each of you will uh, take that into account and, and pray about it and put it into place this week. Pastor Christian, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for listening. If you're a new listener, welcome. We're really glad you found us. We hope you'll share this with someone else. Uh, you can rate us. You can uh, share it on social media so others can learn about the activate podcast if you're here in town come see us in person at one of our services this weekend we would love to see you if you got a question something you've wanted to know the answer to we'll do our best to answer it uh, on air if we if we can you can email us at activate at take the otherwise we look forward to catching you next time on the activate podcast where we challenge you to build a faith that is active Thank you for joining us for this episode of Activate. We would love for you to join us in person for one of our weekly worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at takethejourney.cc. Help us get the word out about this resource. You can do so by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing this episode on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.